and welcome to another edition of St. Paul's Letters to America. I'm your host, Ray Gerard. With me today in studio, Mr. Robert Hennekes. Bob, how are you? Well, Bob, Bob's pretty good. Robert's a little nervous. It was uh, <laughs> my mother and my ex-wife that would use the term Ooh. Robert and had it scare the heck out of me. So you just shook me to my core here. <laughs> well, so, so Bob's better. Okay, Bob, then Bob it is. <laughs> uh, so this is St. Paul's Letters to America. This is the program that says, hey, what if St. Paul were alive today? Uh, would he have anything to tell us in America? Or are we doing everything just so perfectly that he'd say, you're good just the way you are? Um, well, <laughs> maybe he would uh, have something to tell us. And we're going to give you uh, exactly what he would be telling us. Uh, every week, we look at some social issue, something that's happening in our world, something in our country, and we examine it through the prism of something that St. Paul says. And we, you know, ask ourselves, um, you know, is is St. Paul right? Uh you know, if if he's right, what he's telling us in America, does it jive with what we're doing? Or are we maybe going astray from what he would, you know, what he would want for us? Um, and so we ask these questions and uh, we put these these things, these ideas that are in our world today to a test. And we put St. Paul to the test and we see where we can uh, where we can go with all of that. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, we're going to talk about an idea that splits People within the Catholic world, uh, people within the Catholic world, uh, come down on two sides of this one singular issue. And what is that? It's critical race theory. If you don't know much about it, we'll we'll tell you about it uh, to some degree, as much as we can in a short period of time. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's an intensely important topic. Our kids, if you don't know it, are living with it. Um, it is becoming very prevalent in a lot of schools, and kids are being seriously affected by it. And so, you know, the future of this country is affected by it. So it's important to ask, are we teaching them the right things? And since people, you know, uh, within the Catholic world come down on both sides of this one question, you know, we're going to see if we can, you know, see if there's some truth uh, to be found here. All right. So... Maybe uh, the best place, as always, is to start with the, a letter from St. Paul. And St. Paul wrote, I urge you to live in a manner worthy of the call, the call you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another through love, striving to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, one body and one spirit, as you are also called to the one hope of your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So, now that's a very pleasant little reading. You know, hey, these are ideas that, who could argue with them? Humility, gentleness, patience, love. I mean, these are, you know, pretty universally accepted bond ideas. Of, bond of peace. Um, but he mentions one thing twice. He talks about the call that people have, and that's going to be very important as we uh, go forward in this program. But besides call, we have these ideas of love. We have these ideas of unity. We have these ideas of, of peace, uh, 
love and humility. Love, unity, humility, peace. Um, these are important concepts. And we're going to be examining critical race theory in light of those four and several other Catholic ideas, or at least um, ideas as seen, you know, these ideas as seen from a Catholic perspective. All right, so what are we going to, what are we going to start with? Okay, well, how about we start with what is critical race theory? Well, to try to explain it in a nutshell, it's the idea that race is critical to everything in society. And as a society, we need to right the wrongs uh, that, that racism produces. I mean, racism is critical to everything in society. It pervades, according to critical race theory, it pervades every aspect of our lives, even when we don't know about it. There is a group of people that have benefited by racism in this country, uh, and there's a group that has suffered from it. And it's become so normal, it's become you know so ingrained that we don't even realize that it's happening when it's happening. Now we're hurting people. And so we need to right those wrongs. We need to root out all forms of racism. We need to explore and investigate and find where uh, elements of racism exist, even if uh, you know it's under our, our radars because we're not sensitive enough. So no matter how small these elements of racism are, we need to learn about them. We need to see them and then deal with them. And all people, all people must work toward this end because, as I say, it pervades all areas of society and so we're all affected by it. And if we refuse, if any one of us wants to refuse to go along with this, well, then you're in favor of racism. You're not willing to deal with racism. So that, as I can briefly sort of summarize critical race theory, whenever you summarize something briefly, you do it in injustice. But as best we can, I think maybe that captures some of the nuggets of critical race theory. And I think like most things, Ray, that are ever put in and we work on, quite often the intention is good and the idea is good. To eliminate racism has got to be a good thing. Got to be. Right? Got it's, to be. It's got to be good. And it's hard to do because quite often people are ingrained. They, they don't even know it. I know my grandfather, when I would sit with him on the porch, was racist. He was uh, talking with him. Very nice guy, loving guy, cared for his family, but had racist ideas. And I always thought how wonderful my dad was, that he completely understood that, loved his father, yet went completely away, knew father was wrong, and he taught us not to be racist. He taught us to not only love, but not to be racist. And it's really hard for someone who is racist, I think, to— Maybe even to see it. To see it, to understand it. And so I, I think the thought of trying to eliminate racism, to love one another regardless— Absolutely. Is very Christian, very no. Catholic, and absolutely. But then like Without most— doubt. Then like most things— it's the application of that and how you go ahead and apply that that gets to be the difficulty. And I, ah, I think that's the case here. Yeah. Ah, there's the rub, yep. as, uh, as, they, as, they say in as they would say in Shakespearean times. Um, okay. Now, to approach this subject, I think we have to start with another concept. And that concept is socialism. And critical race theory and socialism have a lot in common. Uh, we, uh, we're going to refer in this program to two articles uh, 
that were written from a Catholic perspective in favor of critical race theory. One is critical race theory and Catholicism go hand in hand, and it's by a priest. His name is Patrick St. Jean. He is a, um, uh, he's a Jesuit priest. He's a Catholic priest, and he believes very strongly that race, critical race theory and Catholicism go hand in hand for many of the same reasons that you, you know, were, were talking about just a second ago, Bob. Um, he's, in fact, I think he's a professor of psychology at Creighton University, um, a native of Haiti, so presumably he is a person of color. Um, and then we have another uh, article that was written. Uh, this one's entitled, Yes, Critical Race Theory is com Compatible with Catholicism. Here's, wh here's why. It's appeared in American Magazine. Um, it was taken from a podcast done with Gloria Purvis, and she interviewed Vincent Rogeau. He's the former dean of Boston College Law School, so he knows a lot about societal, um, societal issues, um, and the first black president of the College of the Holy Cross. And both of these gentlemen wrote write very strongly in favor of critical race theories. As a matter of fact, Father St. Jean writes this. He said recently he had breakfast with a good friend. His good friend is a professor of theology at a prestigious Catholic university. So she knows Catholic theology well enough to teach it at the college level. And she was a good, longtime friend of Father St. Jean. And they were having breakfast together. Um, and uh, Father St. Jean writes that the conversation, which had been very amicable, suddenly turned uh, tense when I made a comment about critical race theory. My friend, he said, felt strongly that CRT has no place in the Catholic Church. I disagreed. She went on to say the Catholics who support this theory should be officially sanctioned. Father St. John continues, I respect my long-term friend's opinion, um, but I could not agree. I insisted that CRT intersects easily with Catholic social teaching, and in fact, CRT shines light on our journey as followers of Christ. At this my friend pushed back her chair and left the table without even a goodbye. I stared at her, he says, in disbelief. Um, a hot, needless to say, a hot topic, um, which makes it all the more important to talk about. Anyways, um, so there are... Like I said, strongly held views on both sides of this aisle. Now, why do I say we should approach at it from the point of view of socialism? Because, and this is, um, is, it Mr. is it Mr. Rougeau who writes this? I believe so. Uh, Vincent Rougeau, the guy who uh, is, in, uh, is really the voice in the, the second article that uh, we mentioned. He's the dean. Dean, right? yeah, <clears throat> dean uh, Black. Well, he's the president of the College of the Holy Cross. President. Former dean of Boston College Law School, a Catholic, another Catholic institution. And he writes that um, there are some conclusions that some have come to through the use of critical race theory that some may find to be very much aligned with Marxism. And that may well be so. He's acknowledging that there is much in line between Marxist thought and critical race theory. 
And there is. There is. It, there's, there's a view of society that's not, and as we'll explain further, that's not really on the individual level. The United States as a country is based on the idea that the individual comes first. That's the whole reason for our Bill of Rights. The individual person comes first. In a federal court of law, you can have a case where somebody sues the United States government and some individual person for the violation of his constitutional rights and can win. What other country can have that unless you have a country that's based first and foremost on the, the power, the rights of the individual? That's been our history. And that is in line with Catholic teaching, with Catholic dogma. Uh, it is what Christ's life was all about. Um, he gave up his life for others. Um, you know, people, um, people came first. It's, it's this outward kind of love, you know, um, where other people, it's, 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 you know, my own personal, you know, my own, my own personal welfare, my own personal wants, desires. It's an outward looking kind of love. And, and so when you're forming a government to also look outward, no, it's not the government. It's these other people that matter. I mean, if you're going to be forming a government, you know, it's people as a group, you look at all these people, but it's recognizing this large social group as a, just simply a bunch of individuals. And so that's how Catholicism and the traditional basis of our country have, have gone together. But with socialism, it's not the individual, it's not the people that come first. It's, this, it's society as a whole that comes first. Socialism believes that you can have the control, or should have, the control of the property and labor of people, which means you control their, their time, their work, their lives, for the good of society as a whole. People are a group, um, and it's failed. Basically, everywhere it's been tried, the USSR, China, Venezuela, Cuba. I mean, you look at the USSR, it failed there. Um, you know, the Soviet Union fell. It collapsed. Uh, you know, it's in the same century in which it was born, it collapsed. It started at the beginning of the century, fell before the end of it, 1917 to 1989. Mm -hmm. um, uh, just couldn't keep up with Western democracies. Um, in China, it was tried. It's been tried. It's still being tried. Tens of millions, tens of millions of people died. Mao Zedong is still the revered father of communism in uh, China. He, he uh, once famously uh, boasted, what's so unusual about Emperor uh, Xin Huang of the China dynasty, he said. He had buried alive 460 scholars only, but we have buried alive 46,000 scholars. That was a, that was a bragging point right. for He's him. He's boasting there. The intellectuals. Let's get rid of the people who think. Um, I was referring to the Great Cultural Revolution from 1966 to 1976. Um, I also instituted around that same period of time the Great Leap Forward, worst famine in human history. 
Um, the number of dead from 1959 to 1961 alone, from this collectivization of China's agriculture, 30 to 40 million people. You start an agricultural reform. People start dying by the millions because there's this huge famine. And it's okay. You don't immediately reverse course. No, you don't. Not until 10, not till 30 million or 40 million people have died. Um, gangs of, red gar- of, of so-called red guards roamed the cities targeting, um, targeting enemies of the state. They killed a million people uh, before they were stopped. Um, let's see, uh, you know, they had 1,000 forced labor camps, 50 million Chinese passed through these labor camps, 20 million died. I mean, tens of millions, the total figure by the estimate of the Black Book of Communism, apparently the authoritative book on communism, an estimated 65 million people. You look at Venezuela, they tried it there, country is bankrupted. Um, but people say, well, okay, we've tried socialism, we've tried it here, we've tried it there. It just hasn't been done right yet. The idea is good, it's just the people that have implemented it have done a bad job. Okay, well, proposition for you. I got a proposition. Can it be done right? Or is it true that it can never succeed? Is that believable? Is that, I mean, this is important. Because critical race theory does share a lot with socialism. Its philosophy is the same. Uh, you will find, as we'll discuss, the same kind of one-size-fits-all philosophy. There is no room for individual thinking. It's the society as a whole. Individual opinions uh, get squashed, get suppressed. You do not have freedom of speech, freedom of thought. Um, you know, this is an inherently religious concept to have freedom because you're born with value and dignity from God. Um, in a communist world, no, the society is the top of the ladder. The ladder doesn't go higher than that. It doesn't stretch vertically up to heaven where there is a, a God. It doesn't go there. It goes as far as the society. The society is paramount. And you will find this with critical race theory. We'll explain, we'll explore, um, but you'll find it there. And it makes sense. It makes sense. Let's, let's, for the moment, argue for the proposition that socialism can never succeed. What would be necessary for that proposition to be maintained? What would it be necessary for that to be true? Well, you would have to find that socialism or critical race theory in its, you know, in its, in its form of, of its effect on society, um, that they violate fundamental principles of human society. If you have methodology for reforming society, and that's what critical race theory seeks to do as well, if you have a, 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 an ideology for reforming society, changing society, but it violates fundamental principles of human society, it's got to be doomed to fail. It's got to be such that it can never succeed. So, okay, that's number one. How about question number two then? Well, if that's true, then what are these fundamental principles of human society and uh, socialism or its variant, critical race theory, and, and we'll maintain that it's a, that it's a variant, 
Uh, as I say, one of its proponents admits that it has a lot in line with Marxism, so let's just, let's just go there. But anyways, um, what are these fundamental principles of society? Well, you have to start out with what is the fundamental nature of the human person. And Catholic doctrine, Catholic dogma, has long maintained some very firm ideas on the nature of the human person. And, uh, uh, and oh, by the way, it's, it happens to be linked oh, to this, this, this being called God. But how about we start with, instead of getting into a big theological debate, how about we start with what well, we all can see with our own two eyes, what we know about a human person. Well, every person, every single person that you meet, they have, a, they have an individual physical body. And lots of people have individual skills. Some people uh, just have a knack for music. Some people have a knack for putting things together. Again, they think of things from an engineering point of view like you, my friend. Um, uh, some people, you know, uh, have, different, have different skills. But, you know, we've all got these differences. And what else? Well, we've all got an individual mind. We all have an inner voice. We talk to ourselves all day long. We judge things through our own inner voice. We judge ourselves through our own inner voice. It's called the conscience. Um, so we do things differently. We think of things differently. We're all these individual collections of these physical and mental attributes. We are solitary beings. And what about a society? Well, it's just simply a collection of all of these solitary beings. These are very simple, um, simple statements, but you know, usually and simplicity there lies a great deal of truth. So what would then would be if a society then is just simply a group of these individual beings, such as as, the, as we are as human persons, what's a good society? Well, I'm going to tell you that a fundamental, I'm going to propose, I'm going to submit. One of these fundamental principles of human society is that a good society is one that recognizes the reality of who we are. It recognizes that we're all these individual people with individual ways of thinking. And if you deny that reality, you're not going to succeed. You can't succeed. You can never work. Well, in fact, God has made us that way, as, as you commented. God has made us individuals with these different skills and these different talents that if we figure out how to do things right, we will pull together, as St. Paul so eloquently said, like the body. Some people are skilled at making things, being the hands. Some people are skilled at running or transportation. They would be the legs. Some folks are ridiculously intellectual and, and could be the mind. Others have a very clear, crisp view of things. They could be the eyes. And together we can pull together and use all of these wonderful talents if we do this right. And that would be the idea to do this right, to allow folks with individual talents to shine through in that way and bring those gifts to the rest of, of society. And hopefully really want to bring that to society, bring that to other people, love other people, as God said, and bring those talents to uh, others. Now you're getting, you're, you're getting way ahead of the game. You're, I guess maybe that makes sense for someone who's a deacon, uh, going to be a deacon. 
Uh, I just elevated you a little bit prematurely. But <laughs> yeah, that'll that'll take place a little later. Let's <laughs> let's wait because there's a good good solid ten months of me trying to hide behind the uh, curtains to to try to make it to ordination. So uh, so don't push that thing. Yet. <laughs> but um, you know, and that's actually you just referred to something as well that was in this uh, this reading from St. Paul. You were talking about you know bringing this to other people, right? That's our call. That's our vocation. St. Paul talked twice in the little passage about our call. What's our call? Our call is to be united with God. And our call is to, and on that journey, in order to do that, we have to imitate him. We have to love his people. We have to love everybody we meet. That's our call, to love others and to love, and, and to love God. That's our call, to work for others. Socialism support that? Um, no. Does critical race theory support that? No, if, in fact, um, you know, we're correct as we continue to go and assess these various features of critical race theory, which we are going to do. Um, but some aspects of, of socialism, it's society first. That's the principal element of socialism, society first. It's not the individual, it's not the ha- individual happiness of the individual. Society first, it's a focus on this world, not our relation with God, not that call that St. Paul talks about to be united with God and in order to get there to love and be united with everybody you know, in our world around us. It's society first, and it's where somebody decides for others. Um, somebody decides for others. Is that really a principle of socialism? You know, socialism says and maintains it's this idea where instead of having these these people who wield all this power and power flows from the top down. It's a world where we elevate the lower classes and that everybody gets together and we all decide on what kind of a society that we're going to have. But you said, Bob, in the beginning that in practice, it doesn't work that way. And then we put forth the proposition, it can never work that way. And if we're, and, you know, to be right about that, you know, means that, you know, we'd have to have a system that can't allow that to happen. And this one can't. Because if it's a system that's based on society first and not the individual, it cannot respect properly with the full weight that that respect deserves. It cannot respect individuals. It cannot respect the values and the ideas varied and, you know, as multifaceted as they are, of individuals. It cannot put an emphasis on collecting all the different ideas that, of, of various individuals, weighing them, balancing them. I mean, the United States government is based on a series of checks and balances. You've got ideas uh, that the president may have. You've got ideas that all the various members of Congress may have. You've got ideas that the Supreme Court may have. You balance them, but they're different ones. You don't have one central Politburo uh, that decides everything. You No, you balance these things. If you don't respect and recognize the differences in people, individuals, it's decides just a collection of all these different individuals with each one with a value of all their own, you can't make a good society. You can't properly balance them. You can't. You know, you're not going to respect them enough that you're going to be able to uh, desire to collect them and then to 
you know, properly balance them. This is also what you'll find when people try to practice critical race theory. Okay. So it's kind of harsh. So I think the, the idea, Ray, which is absolutely correct that you're putting forward is we want individual thought. We want people to bring things to the table because then we can choose of those ideas and we as a group would choose them, not some individual deciding what's right or wrong. As soon as you do that, as soon as you take the individual out and they don't get their voice heard and they don't have the capability to bring forth their ideas – we have eliminated a huge amount of, of capability, capital, uh, thought processes that could be very, very good. If you have some group or society telling others what's right or wrong, then you've got a problem. But if you allow individuals to bring that together, that's what our, our country is based on, is allowing those individuals to prosper because their ideas are good ones and they bring those forth. But, of course, proponents of socialism would say that's what socialism is designed to do better than – a republic like the United States, better than any capitalist system. Because with the capitalist system, you have people that wield, that hold and wield power. And in a socialist system, it's the lower classes that matter the most. And it's, it's power from the people that you're going to allow those people to have a voice. Uh, so they would say, no, it's the exact opposite. Um, but then the question is, well, that sounds good. But to your point again, Bob, how do you put this in, in, in practice? You know, the, you know that this fails, and then to the proposition that I'm putting forward is it's bound to fail. Um, in practice, when people try, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you you know give a voice to all these little people in a socialist state? If in fact you don't value each one of them separately. Um, Somebody's going to pick and choose these ideas. You know, what is the societal good? I mean, socialism, okay, it's the society. It's the society. It's the, the society comes first. Well, you don't have this one uh, being that is a society. As we said, it's a collection of all these people. And you have to recognize that and see them as individuals and see them for the value that they have as the individuals. And you can't do that, you know, if you are looking at it from the point of view of society, some abstract concept of society first. It's less human. Um, if you violate these fundamental principles of, you know, what the human nature is and what a good society is in terms of, you know, a good society being one that recognizes individual value and that individuals do come first, then what you've got is a situation where socialism is antisocial. It's not about bringing people together. It's not about uh, people being social with one another. So, you know, um, it's not about social harmony. It's about coercion. It's about fear. It's about duress. It's about imposing one view on others. And those are all elements you do find with critical race theory. Um, all right, let's go, let's go back to these people who, however, from a Catholic point of view, people who are Catholic authorities, a priest who's been trained in Catholic theology, a priest who has devoted his life to the service of God, a priest who no doubt spends a lot of time doing a lot of good for a lot of people, um, a good man. 
Um, let's go back to what he says about this. Let's go back to this guy who's a very accomplished intellectual. He was dean of Boston College Law School, for goodness sake, president uh, of another Catholic uh, college. I mean, these are uh, accomplished, intelligent, educated people. They feel nonetheless, despite the things that we've said, that it is perfectly in line with Catholic social uh, doctrine and Catholic thinking. Why? Well, in the articles that I quoted, there are three main points that they make. Uh, one is that it's an analytical tool. It's an intellectual tool. It's a way to explore, you know, our implicit, uh, our under-the-surface racist ideas. Uh, it's a way of, of self-examination. Lord, I mean, every time you go to confession, you're supposed to go engage in a self-examination of conscience first. Critical race theory is a way for each person to engage in a self-examination of their own individual consciences and so forth. So that's number one. Uh, that's the first thing they point to. Um, number two, uh, they will say that it's a way of, a, of establishing some equilibrium. It's a way of righting some wrongs. It's a way of achieving some financial equity uh, for people who are the less financially advantaged in our society. It's a way of helping the poor. And they'll point to Catholic social doctrine that says God has a special place in his heart for the poor. Uh, you know, and so that's the second thing they'll point to, that it's a loving way of, of trying to achieve, you know, some financial equilibrium, which is, I mean, it's charity. And that's, I mean, it's achieving the same ends. Let's put it that way. It's achieving the same ends as charity. And then thirdly, uh, they'll point to justice, that it serves the interests of justice, that it's unjust to take people and deprive them or disadvantage them of certain, you know, deprive them of certain things or cause them disadvantages simply based on their race. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, Mr. Rajot uh, talks about the fact uh, that um, that racism, you know, with racism, you categorize someone as black and they become untouchable. You don't eat with them. You don't touch them. You can't marry them. That's something we don't want to see. We need to use the minds that God gave us to break down this injustice, and we need to stop labeling things so that we scare people. The problem is, and the problem with uh, all of these uh, reasons that they give uh, for critical race theory, is they come with a cost. Um, it's an intellectual tool. But in practice, and that's your point again, Bob, that in practice these things um, don't do what they're intended. These are good intentions, but in practice it doesn't work well. And as I say, I think to a large extent, if it's, if it's a socialist-based idea, socialist-based philosophy, it can't work well because it doesn't recognize the value of the individual. And from a Catholic point of view, that value of the individual, and each one of us has tremendous value, it's because that value comes from God. Anyways, um, as an intellectual tool, that's fine, but in practice, it comes at the cost of intellectual honesty. There are many instances where people describe situations where there's no intellectual honesty, there's no honest attempt to find the truth. There's one uh, idea, and you have to ascribe to it. You can't question it, you can't touch it, you have to. Um, and we've got examples of that. Charity for the poor. Uh, financial equilibrium for the poor, but in practice comes in the cost at the cost of individual 
charity. Um, this will be forced on people. There's no, chance, there's no opportunity for people to give from their own hearts. Individual charity, uh, it comes at the cost of the loss of individual charity. Sure, there's still opportunities for it. Um, but it's the idea, it's the expectation, it's, it's the belief that society will take care of this. And, and it's not up to us as, as, as individuals. Um, if the call is to love, if the call is to extend love to other people, if the call is to then, by doing so, um, grow closer to God, this doesn't serve that because it forces it on people. Justice, sure, social justice, but, it, but in practice it comes at a cost. What cost? Cost of justice to others because contrary to what Mr. Rojo says, um, you know, it labels uh, people so that we can scare people. Examples of that? We'll give them to you. Recently, a couple of teachers have written some articles as well. They've come out publicly um, and said they can't go along <coughs> with critical race theory at the cost, uh, at the risk of their careers, certainly their jobs and their careers as educators, perhaps um, for all time. Um, so labeling people uh, to produce fear. Um, I mean, there's a case, let's see, we've got, um, you know, one, they've got various stories. One of them, um, let's see. So uh, this one uh, teacher, her name is Dana Stengel Plow. She uh, was a teacher at uh, Dwight Englewood School in New Jersey. And she talks about the fact that at least two separate occasions in 2017 and 2018, our head of school, standing at the front of their auditorium, told the entire faculty that he would fire us all if he could so that he could replace us all with people of color. You have to go along or we will fire you. Um, there are multiple cases of this just from these two uh, teachers. Um, there's another one, his name is Paul Rossi. He taught at a prestigious school, the Grace Church High School in Manhattan. And uh, he, um, he wrote about a situation <coughs> where a student came to him one time and tapped, says, he, quote, tapped faintly on my office door anxiously looking both ways before entering. Mr. Rossi was known as somebody who questioned critical race theory. He tapped faintly on the office door, anxiously looking both ways before entering. What's that like? That's scared. You, I mean, That's you're, dead scared. You're in a school building. You're going to go see one of your teachers, and you look both ways. Is anybody else looking? This is, you know, we've got... Uh, this uh, Dana Stengel Plow talked about the fact that there was a, a a faculty comment board on critical race theory, and some of the comments included these, uh, you know, things that that needed to be done, suggestions for what needed to be done, having a place for students to report bias and inequity experiences, so that they can be addressed. Um, another one. This is important both for justice and possibly less effective people. Oh, excuse me. Yes, we need a system for bias incident reporting. Uh, another one. We uh, having a place for adults to report privately. 
snitching systems. This boy who looked both ways down the hall to see if anybody was looking before he talked to this guy. Because why? Because if someone saw him, guess what? They could report that event, report that person. Each one of us is now going to be looking over our shoulder. Um, Mr. Rossi writes, I thanked him for his comments, but asked him why he seemed so nervous. He told me that he was worried that a particular teacher might notice this visit and it would mean that I would get in trouble. He reported to me that this teacher once gave him a lengthy, quote, talking to, quote, for voicing a conservative opinion in class. He then remembered with a sigh of relief that this teacher was absent that day. Mr. Rossi says, I told him he was a brave young man. This is what we're putting our kids through. Um, You know, we've got an incident where Mr. Rossi writes about this idea that well, let me go down the list. Let me go down the list. We had, we've heard three reasons why we're talking about one of them, fear, you know, making people fear, live in fear. Um, we had three reasons why critical race theory is in line with Catholic social teaching. Are there any that suggest that it's not in line? I'll go down the list. Despair, pride, anger, reason, free will, unity, peace, dignity, the body of Christ, fear, Sin, judgmentalism, envy, humility, honesty, putting God in second place. That's a long list of 16 things. And each one of them is one where we can explain how um, critical race theory is contrary to these, these, Catholic, these 16 different elements of Catholic belief. Despair. Uh, despair. Uh, no hope. Um, you know, there's always hope with God. There's always the possibility of redemption. It's the meaning of the resurrection from the cross. There's always hope. Despair leads people uh, away from God. It leads people. Despair leads people. Uh, oh, yeah, away from God. Uh, there is a a boy, and God takes that wonder, wonderful opportunity to bring them back. Quite often. After Ms. Dana Stengel-Plough came out with her, um, she resigned as well. Uh, she said she was res- resigning from a job I love. And after that, uh, a student wrote to her um, signed with a letter that uh, is signed, your former DE student, anonymous because, what, live in fear, right? But he wrote, uh, my eighth grade English teacher, taught us for the first two weeks about pretty much how awful white men are. For two weeks, he did not speak a single word in her class. My fellow white classmates left the classroom every time feeling the same way. For lack of a better word, those teachings made me feel like horse. There's a four-letter word that begins with S. Like worthless scum undeserving of living. That's how he says he was made to feel despair. Um... Pride. Pride. Pride is a sin. Pride is a sin. Um, does this promote pride? There's a, a girl at this Dana Englewood School in New Jersey who was discussing a class assignment about an Arab immigrant's son. And uh, apparently this, this person desired to leave the U.S. And this one white student said, why does Akram want to leave America? If he got an education, found a group of people he's comfortable with and has, and has money. 
Uh, my friend across from me thought and shrugged his shoulders. Yeah, I don't know, he replied. Um, another friend coughed under her breath. White privilege. This embarrassed me. I asked a question, and the friend beside me implied that my question was stupid, and I couldn't ask questions like this. Um, Mr. Rossi writes about this. Uh, Ms. Stengel Plow writes about this. There is a moral arrogance. Um, if you don't understand white supremacy, if you have these implicit and unknown to you uh, biases against people, you're stupid. Um, we're morally superior. These people write about this, and they're, and, you know, there's we're teaching certain people that they're morally superior to other people. We're, you know, fostering ideas of pride um, on that basis. Uh, anger. Does it? I mean, you've got uh, we've got anger. Um, there's. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, so Mr. Rossi writes about that. Um, there's another, there's an instance where a student, you know, said on social media, this is not just um, with regard to black people. Um, this this theory is in line with, critical race theory is in line with uh, oppressor. I mean, basically, it's, it's basic tenet is there are oppressors and oppressed. And that goes on various levels. It can happen on, on race. It can also happen the pressure with regard to gender. Um, and one student wrote that on social media, you know, um, this is a hashtag, you know, K-A-M, kill all men. And that a girl that he knew thought all men are misogynistic. All men are misogynistic. Uh, you are part of a group. Uh, that is critical race theory. Um, there are groups, and if you are a member of uh, the white race, you are an oppressor. You are in the group. If you are a male, you are an oppressor. Uh, you are in the group. Um, and so, kill. You know, this this girlfriend that you know, a friend of his that was a girl. He knew all men are bad, and he was included just because he would. Maybe he's got. Maybe he's not. He doesn't have a misogynistic bone in his body. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, um, and of course it's going to do that. Um, it's going to produce these kinds of these kinds of feelings and ideas. It's going to produce resentment. You know, people oppress us. Just that word. There are people that oppress. It's bound to produce um, resentment. Um, so dis despair, pride, anger. That's three of them right there. Uh, reason. The, the, the ability to think for yourselves. Um, you know, Miss uh, Stengel Plow, you know, writes that um, in her, in my, she says, quote, I see, in my classroom, I see how this orthodoxy hinders students' ability to read, write, and think. I teach students who recoil from a poem because it was written by a man. I teach students who approach texts in search of the oppressor. I teach students who see inequities in texts that have nothing to do with power. <coughs> uh, uh, we're teaching kids not to think, not to reason. I've got more examples, but we've got to go. We don't have time for them. Free will, the concept of free will. We're all born with free will. Um, Mr. Rossi writes about an experience. He says... Uh, 
He uh, was in a student and faculty Zoom meeting. It was about racism. And he raised questions about whether um, the approach was correct. He was then told uh, that his philosophical challenges had caused harm to students. A few days later, the head of the school ordered all high school advisors to read a public reprimand of my conduct out loud to every student in the school. It was a surreal experience walking the halls alone and hearing the words emitting from each classroom. Uh, he goes on that every student at the school must sign a student life agreement, which requires them to aver that the world as we understand it can be hard and extremely biased, that they commit to recognize and acknowledge their biases, guilty as charged before even having a trial. When we come to school and interrupt those biases and accept that they will be held accountable should they fall short of the agreement. Uh, a faculty email chain recently received enthusiastic support for recommending that we officially flag students who appear resistant to the culture. There is, people are being coerced. You've got, yeah, it would indeed be a surreal experience. You're walking through the halls and from every classroom, you know, I mean, they, you know, the, he is being criticized for raising the questions. Free speech, free thought, free thinking. Are we teaching kids to think, to use their reason? Are we teaching kids that they have free will? No. If you cross the line, you will be called out. You will be put to shame in front of everybody. You will be made to feel like S, you know, that four-letter word that begins with S, like that one student felt. This is what's going on. This is what people are living with. What about unity? Well, Mr. Rossi writes about white-only meetings and that they're commonplace. Ms. Stingle Plow writes the same thing. There's a white-only caucus. Uh, There's a student who wrote about a situation. Um, this was in... Uh, at school in New Jersey. Again, these are all examples just from two professors, who have, two teachers who have come forward. Um, a white student who was uh, assisting the video teacher in filming black students for their affinity group's presentation at, to the school was told to leave the, the room because she was white. They said her presence made them uncomfortable. Unity? No. Another white student was reduced to tears Tears by a teacher who insisted that the student was racist because of the color of her skin. She had to be racist, brought to tears. This is, you know, uh, the dean, this dean, uh, Mr. Rougeau, writes about we have to stop labeling people so that they live in fear. Really? This is exactly what's going on. In the name of anti-racism, this is racism. Um, you know, we, the, 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 it's yeah. just the ends justify the means. I can do anything I want to get my common good, you including know. being wrong and being evil to other people, which is which is stunning. You know, I mean, uh, there's we could keep going down the list. We're running short on time, but one more I'll just mention: sin, the concept of sin. 
Father St. Jean writes about this. Um, according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, I think it's, um, I think it's section 1868, it says sin is you know, basically an individual, uh, it's an individual matter. And uh, Father St. Jean writes, this is Father St. Jean in favor of this. And he writes, quote, CRT is not concerned with individual sin. St. Paul talked about the call, the call. What is your call? Your call is to move toward God. And you can do that by loving the people that God loves. If you don't do that, you are failing. Your relationship is with God. You have a relationship with other people. This is a personal matter, and it's a personal matter of the highest importance. Involved in it is your personal salvation. It's an intensely individual matter. If CRT is not concerned with individual sin, how can you not be concerned with individual sin? Sin is individual. This, this is a core, core element of Catholic teaching. It has to do with who we are as a human person. Um, you know, the, the, final, the final issue here is that it put God in the second place. Um, you know, your own virtue, your own morality, uh, these things, your own responding to the call to move closer to God. I mean, if society comes first, God is in second place. That is why socialism always must fail. That is why critical race theory um, is not healthy from a Catholic perspective. Yes, it has ideas um, that are laudable. It has goals and intentions that are laudable. But in practice, it fails because it has to fail, because it puts society, this abstract idea of society, first. It makes people feel miserable. It promotes resentment and, all the, and anger and pride and all the other things we talked about. Um, some people are good people. Some people are bad people. We've got the oppressors versus the oppressed. And it's, no matter what you do, you're an oppressor or an oppressed. It's, um, it's, it is something that divides us rather than unites us. And uh, it is something that as Catholics we need to understand. Um, and uh, anything that, that doesn't put God in the first place um, is not, um, it's simply not the best that we can do. Let's put it that way. Anyways, that's our program for today. We hope you found it, uh, you know, enjoyable. We hope you found it interesting. Bob, perhaps you could give us, uh, hopefully maybe this time, a, little, a quick prayer to close our program. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, allow us to truly understand and do what it is that you desire, to love everyone regardless of who they are, what they look like, what color they are, what sex they are, just to love them. And always know that that is your will. Allow us to do that. Allow us not to throw rocks and allow us not to tell other people what to do, just to love them and allow them to come to you through that love. 
We pray all this in the wonderful and glorious name of your Son, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, God bless.